Good morning, church family. Hannah Landeros here with just a few announcements. Here at Wheaton Bible Church, we believe membership is about showing visibly what Jesus has done spiritually. It's the next step towards commitment, engagement, responsibility, and partnership in this local church. If you've been attending here for a while and are interested in making Wheaton Bible Church your home, our next membership class is Wednesday night, May 3rd at 6.30 p.m. in Connect Central. For more information and to register, visit wheatonbible.org membership or reach out to Andy Stahl. Join us on May 12th for a time of worship led by Canvas House Worship. Canvas House is a collective of worship leaders and musicians from Wheaton Bible Church and Iglesia del Pueblo who write and produce contemporary worship songs that reflect the vision of our church. Invite your family, friends, coworkers, neighbors, and everyone in between for this exciting night of worship. Summer is around the corner and we're once again going to gather and celebrate the birthday of Wheaton Bible Church. By God's grace, this year we turn 94 years old. Save the date for Sunday, June 11th, here on campus, outside on the West Lawn. We'll be having a picnic with hamburgers, hot dogs, activities for the kids, and just a good time of hanging out. More information is coming, so stay tuned. Thanks so much for spending part of your weekend with us, and we hope you have an amazing week. Man, church, good morning. Welcome to the house of the Lord to worship God, our Father, through His Son, Jesus Christ and by His Spirit. We believe that worship is in essence a, a response to God's revelation of Himself. And so He invites us. It's an invitation from the Lord to know Him, to love Him, to treasure Him, to magnify Him in our minds, in our hearts, in our affections, and our expressions. And one of the ways in which we do that, according to His Word, is singing together the glory of God. And so let's stand together um, and let's exalt His name singing.
Hi, I'm Cameron. And I'm Dave. And we are getting baptized today to share our love for the Lord and the new life that we have found in Him. Hi, my name is Dylan, and I'm being baptized because I want to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Hola, mi nombre es Andrés. Quiero bautizarme porque quiero conectarme más con mi Señor. Creo que Jesús murió en la cruz por mis pecados. My name is Radana. I am getting baptized today because I've opened my heart to Jesus and I want to walk with him every day. Hello, my name is Isabella Mitchell and I am a Christian because I believe that Jesus Christ is our Savior. I want to be baptized today so that I can uh, show people that I'm a Christian. Hola, me llamo Jennifer Quijada. Estoy muy feliz de compartir con ustedes hoy que me voy a bautizar porque he creído en Jesucristo como mi Señor y mi Salvador para seguirlo cada día de mi vida. Mi nombre es Herbert Giovanni Rivera. Yo le he entregado mi vida a Jesucristo y quiero bautizarme este día como un acto de fe um, para ser testigo a toda la comunidad cristiana de que yo lo reconozco a él como la guía de mi vida. Quiero seguir sus preceptos y quiero compartir esta felicidad con todos ustedes. Gracias. Mi nombre es Cristal. Yo me voy a bautizarme hoy porque yo amo a Cristo y yo quiero que Él cambie mi vida. My name is Eli Mitchell and I want to get baptized this week because I believe that God sent His one and only Son to die on the cross for our sins. My name is Ryan Mitchell. I want to get baptized to show everybody that I believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose again three days later. Hola, mi nombre es Leonardo Araujo y estoy muy contento de bautizarme el día de hoy y de compartirles de que acepto a Jesús como mi Señor y Salvador. Hi, my name is Amy Ingo and I'm getting baptized to show my faith is in Jesus Christ. My name is John Ingo and I'm getting baptized this morning as a public declaration of faith and trust in Jesus Christ and as an act of obedience unto the Lord. My name is Asling Tanko and I'm getting baptized because I want to take the next step in my faith as I move deeper into it and grow. And for me, that looks like following in the footsteps of the believers who came before me and making a public declaration of my commitment to the faith in Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit through the act of baptism. Amen. Isn't that video beautiful? Thank you. Well, church family, good morning. My name is Eric Solomon. I get to serve as one of the pastors here at Wheaton Bible Church. And this morning, we have the privilege of continuing our worship by gathering at the waters of baptism. Baptism, Christian baptism, is something that we believe as a church is a testimony to God's continuing work. It is an act of obedience to the command of Jesus. In the life of the church, baptism functions as this outward symbol, this external picture of an internal work of God. Baptism alone doesn't save. There's no magic in the, this pool. The miracle is not in these waters, but in the one that these waters point to. You see, baptism physically declares what God has spiritually done in us because of Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection from the grave. Amen? He has given us new life. It is the believer's testimony to the public of their belonging to Jesus. And, and as you witness these baptisms this morning, as, as these believers are immersed beneath the waters, they are proclaiming that their old self, enslaved to unbelief and sin, has died in the death of Jesus. 
And as they are raised up out of the waters, they are proclaiming that their new self, freed from sin, has been raised in the resurrection of Jesus. They're proclaiming that they belong to Jesus like we belong to Jesus. And it's because of that reality that we believe as a church that baptism is set apart for believers alone. For those who repent and trust in Jesus. You see, baptism, it preaches the gospel, the good news that calls everyone to believe that Jesus is God and that his death on the cross counts as a payment for our sins against that God and that he came back to life and that he is the only way to salvation. And so together we once again, we gather at these waters of baptism to hear this testimony of God's grace in the, life, in, in the lives of our believers, our siblings in the faith. And so with that, I want to invite John Ingo into the waters with me. Well, John, this morning we've heard your testimony over video. And now I want to actually ask you to confirm that testimony as I prepare to baptize you, I want you to confirm that testimony, this profession of faith, with these questions. And so, before this church family, before the God you love, please testify to your faith by answering these two questions with the words, I do. John, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he died on the cross for your sins and was raised on the third day? I do. John, today, do you confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior and commit to follow him, serve him, and love him within your church family and wherever he has placed you? I do. Amen. Well, my brother, based on your declaration of faith in Jesus Christ, this morning I am baptizing you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go this way. Well, now I want to invite Amy Ingo to the waters. Well, Amy, this morning we've also heard your testimony in video, but I want to encourage you, I want to ask you to profess your faith before your church family as well. And so before the God you love and before this church, please testify to your faith by answering each of these questions with the words I do. Amy, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he died on the cross for your sins and was raised on the third day? I do. Today, do you confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior and commit to follow him, serve him, and love him within your church family and wherever he's placed you? I do. Well, amen. My sister, based on your declaration of faith in Jesus Christ, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Hold your nose. Hold your wrist. Well, familia, let me pray as I send us back into singing by worship. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning for what you have done, how you have saved both Amy and John, how you have saved us, and this morning how you have uh, allowed them to testify to what you have done and allowed us to witness that testimony. I pray that as a church family, you would continue to shape us with the gospel, continue to shape us with the gospel that this baptism, that these, this pool points us to. We love you and we trust and we pray that you would continue to grow Amy and John in their faith as they uh, seek to follow you, as they seek to help their family to follow you, their little ones, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would use this gospel to shape them as those who you have made uh, for your glory and for the good of others. We love you and we trust you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, let's stand and confess these words together. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death. 
to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on
Amen. You please greet each other with the peace of Christ and, and be seated. Good morning, church family. At this time, I want to invite our ushers to the front. As we join together this morning and worship through singing, celebrating baptisms, in the preaching and hearing of Scripture, we worship as well through giving back to God from the resources He's entrusted to us, time, talents, treasures. As a reminder, you can give financially online at wheatonbible.org give. In service as the plates are passed, or you can send your offering to the church office. Uh, as our ushers now pass the plates, I want to invite you to give attention to this video about CareFest coming up this Saturday. That's what I do. I'm a, a remodeler by trade. It just so happened that Gene needed some work and I was available to do it. And uh, as the project was coming to a completion, the snow melted and we could see in the yard it was a mess. It seemed to be a perfect fit for a CareFest project for us. Rick here, who first mentioned to me, he was doing some work for us in our house that we had just purchased. He mentioned that maybe the work outside could benefit from CareFest. Like a lot of old houses, well overgrown, some trees that need to be removed and shrubs that were overgrown and uh, uh, places where there was no grass needed to be sodded and it was a big job. We were able to come as an adult community to spend the day together and most of the class was there. It was just so delightful. I was going around just enjoying everybody's uh, presence and it's, it's just such a delight and brought so much joy to Linda and I as we saw the, the love and love put into action. Love where they made a difference in our lives by fixing up that house. You know, it's always special when you can do a project like that together. And uh, everyone has a good time, and we were so blessed by it. It's just a different context, a different purpose, and uh, as Gene said, the blessings were huge for them, but also for us to do that as a, a community. I strongly encourage you, no matter uh, your strengths or weaknesses, there's there's room for everybody. You can uh, grab a shovel, you can grab a saw, sit on the ground and plant, push a wheelbarrow. There's all kinds of tasks that can be done for anybody. And so uh, 
I'd encourage anybody to consider it, the joy of working together with the church family and for the kingdom in this way. It's such a blessing to, to do it and to receive it. Well, CareFest is this coming Saturday, and we're excited to serve throughout our community as a church community. On your way exiting the sanctuary this morning, you'll see tables with t-shirts and information about how to sign up to serve at, more, at one of more than 60 CareFest projects that we'll be tackling this Saturday. You can also go online at wheatonbible.org slash carefest to learn more or sign up. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Heavenly Father, as we gather this morning, we are reminded through baptism that you are the God who welcomes us into your family, who washes us, who confirms to us that we belong among your people because of what Christ has done for us. Lord, we, we thank you that you call us not only uh, to belong to you, to be a part of your church family, but you call us as well to participate in your work of extending grace to others, of extending blessing to all nations of being a part of your work of turning rebels into worshipers, of turning hearts upward to you. Lord, we pray that you would be at work in us as we go out this Saturday for CareFest. Lord, we pray that you would move through your people and that we could be uh, demonstrating and be vessels of your love and your care for others. We pray as well as we listen to your word this morning that you would open our minds, move our hearts, and align our wills with yours. We give you thanks for today in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, church. If you're able to, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? This morning we will be reading from Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16. If you have your journals, you can follow along on page 110. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. 
The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. pastor here at Wheaton Bible and today we continue in our study in the gospel of Matthew chapter 20. Along with no and mine it's an utterance that no parent ever had to teach their kid. It's not fair. It's not fair. We have an innate ability to survey our surroundings and our peers and cry foul whenever we see someone else has what we also want, but for some reason didn't get. This morning we'll reflect on Jesus' short story entitled in our Bibles as the parable of the workers in the vineyard. But we could just as well refer to it as the parable of the disgruntled workers or the parable of the lucky workers, or the parable of the eccentric employer, or the parable of the curiously generous boss. Matthew 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning at daybreak, about 6 a.m., to hire workers for his vineyard. When Jesus begins with this phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like, it indicates he's giving us insight into the nature of God's rule, of God's economy, of God's working and ways, how his power and judgment operate, and that we should take heed to act in accordance with them. The landowner agreed to pay the workers a denarius for the day and sent them to work in the vineyard. Now, a denarius was a small silver Roman coin about the size of a dime. It displayed a portrait of Tiberius along with the inscription, Tiberius Caesar, son of divine Augustus, emperor. The reverse shows a seated female figure with the inscription, Pontiff Maxim, or High Priest, honoring the priests of the Roman state religion. A denarius, denarius was a typical or good going rate for a day laborer in a culture where 50% of a worker's income might be needed to purchase the household's daily food. We read on, verse 3. 
About nine in the morning, the landowner went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go into the vineyard and entreating them to rely upon his fairness, saying, I'll pay you whatever is right. They went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing each time. At five in the afternoon, uh, an hour before sundown, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one hired us, they answered. Apparently they desired work and income. Needing to buy daily bread and essentials, they'd shown up at the place where workers make themselves available for hire, but they'd found no takers. No one had hired them. No one had chosen them. Perhaps some of them faced the prospect of returning home to hungry children with nothing in hand. At this late hour, there wasn't going to be any bartering over wages. They were simply hoping for something, anything, before the sun went down. Have you ever been there? Waiting and worrying? Maybe you're there right now. Saying, please, something, Lord, anything, I'm out of options here. The landowner said, to the passed over workers, you go also, work in my vineyard. When evening came, shortly after, as the sun was setting, the owner of the vineyard called to his foreman, gather the workers, pay them their wages, but I want you to do it in this way. Begin with the last ones hired, and then go to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and to their astonishment, each received a denarius. So when those who came, uh, who were hired first, they expected to receive more. Uh, we're entitled to a bonus, surely. But each of them also received a denarius. As they took it in hand, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who are hired last only worked one hour, they protested, and you've made them equal to us who've borne the, the burden of the work and the heat of the day. The next segment in my message is entitled, Life's Not Fair, Get Over It. <laughs> My friend Les worked for many years as a business and economics professor at a Chicago university. He told me about a conversation with one of his students who told Dr. DeLabi, I can't believe in God because life isn't fair. Les invited the student into his office for a talk. In their exchange, Les asked the young man, well, if we were all in abject poverty, blind and in wheelchairs, would you believe in God then? Because that would be utterly fair. We'd all have an equal lot in life. His student conceded, I don't think that would help. 
Less suggested, well, do you know a fellow student way less fortunate than you? You could give him or, or her some of your money in, in a secret way so he wouldn't or she wouldn't even know where it came from or offer time to help that student to make things more equal. Is that something you want to do? The student stared at his professor. And less question, so then is your real beef with God that life isn't fair? It seems to me it's something else. What's your beef with God? Do you and I often survey our surroundings, convince ourselves, I'm getting shortchanged here, and launch into grumbling against the master? I want to suggest this morning, our first key point, comparison is a thief. Comparison is a thief. The workers in the parable began the day satisfied. They'd gotten up early, offered themselves for hire, were given work and agreed to decent wages. They had the security of knowing we're set today. We can feed our families today. It was only later when they saw others who'd put in less hours also got a full day's pay that their perspective changed and their mood soured. Originally, they had gladly agreed to a denarius, but now, seeing what others got, they expected more. They received what they'd agreed to, but they began to grumble, objecting, whoa, buddy, you've made them equal to us. We contributed all this. They only did that. When we do the comparing, our disposition often deteriorates from comparison to criticism to complaint. From comparison to criticism to complaint. Comparison often ends up with our dissatisfaction. I was happy until. Comparison so often steals our joy. Comparison is a thief. Well, you might object at this point, wait, so Bill, you're telling me that fairness doesn't matter? No, that's not my point. I'm not saying just swallow it and don't worry about injustice. To the contrary, Scripture elevates the value of justice. Proverbs 31 says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. For the rights of all who are destitute, speak up, judge fairly, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Scripture repeatedly calls God's people to have concern and to speak up for the mistreated, to take the side of the oppressed and provide for the poor. In the message translation we read, the Lord says, this is the kind of spiritual devotion I'm after, says the Lord. Break the chains of injustice. Get rid of exploitation in the workplace. Free the oppressed. Cancel debts. 
For those of us who think true religion is a brand of designer genes, the Apostle James corrects us. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in the midst of their distress, to look after those who are most vulnerable, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. As God's people were called to defend and sacrificially care for the vulnerable. But I have to admit, if you're like me, my sense of indignation is quickly ruffled by assumed personal slights, but often slow and dull to recognize injustice suffered by others. We conduct our comparison looking through distorted and smudged lenses. We make our analysis with inaccurate facts and incorrectly guessed motives. Our fairness sensors are drastically skewed by self-interest and we can be clever and persistent in manufacturing excuses why other suffering is not a problem with which we need to get entangled. Our faculties lead us to faulty conclusions of right and wrong, worse and better, what we contributed and what they contributed, who's right, like me, and who's not. Comparison erodes our satisfaction and ramps up our discontent. Well, now's the time in the sermon when we say, turn to the person next to you. This is always my favorite part. And today you can ask the person you came with, can you name the Ten Commandments? You know, the original top ten list. So, uh, with the person sitting next to you, talk together, see if you can list the Ten Commandments. If you're by yourself, just in your mind or on a piece of paper, list the Ten Commandments. Okay, class, 45 seconds, go. What are the Ten Commandments? Okay, time's up, I'm afraid. I recall of a, a story of a young mom who overheard her second grader talking with his dad, and the kid asked, after coming home from Sunday school that day, uh, Dad, what does it mean you shall not commit agriculture? <laughs> his dad thought for a while, he said, uh, I think that means don't plow in somebody else's field. <laughs> the dad and the son both seemed happy with that answer and went about their business. <clears throat> so what's in the original top ten? 
Do not kill. Honor your father and mother. Have no gods before me. Don't covet. Hmm. No graven images. Keep holy the Sabbath. Don't take the name of the Lord carelessly. Honor father and mother. Don't steal. Don't kill. Uh, don't commit adultery. Don't bear false witness. Uh, when, we, when we run through the Ten Commandments, often though it seems that the Tenth Commandment, which is the bookend to all the others, is often the forgotten commandment. Stated as a prohibition, it says, don't covet. Meaning, don't yearn for what doesn't belong to you. Don't envy others' possessions or begrudge others' good fortune. Stated positively, be content. Secondly, this morning, I want to suggest that comparison inclines us to covet. Comparison inclines us to covet. Like the workers in the parable, we expect more for ourselves and grumble. Even though none of the workers in Jesus' parable were actually being shortchanged, cheated, or abused. Matthew 20, verse 13, the landowner answered the, the complaining worker, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? On the contrary, all of the workers received either justice, meaning the wage they had agreed to, or justice plus, justice and more. It was justice for those who had worked from the beginning of the day. It was mercy in the midst of their poverty for the workers who had waited long unhired. They all received at least justice, receiving fair pay for working a day. They all received at least justice or just plain grace, unmerited kindness in the case of the latecomers. In verse 14, the master gets to his point. I want to give the one who is hired last just as much as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm being generous? Have you ever been mid-sentence lamenting, she already has so much, or he didn't deserve that windfall, when the Holy Spirit catches you asking, are you jealous just because I extended kindness? When you mutter, Lord, you're not going to forgive that, are you? And the Lord probes, are you angry because I'm merciful? Remember the story of the prodigal son doesn't end with a warm group hug. 
It ends with a brother fuming that his undeserving sibling is being welcomed with a party and the father pleading with his angry son to see that they are both loved. When you advise, Lord, if I were you, I'd let them have it. Does your heavenly father question, are you frustrated because I'm patient? Don't I have the right to pour out my goodness on others without asking your permission? Jesus teaches us that our maker is joyfully generous, not begrudging. Listen to the words of the gospel. Your father in heaven causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends refreshing rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Little flock of mine, it gives your father great happiness to gift you his kingdom. A good friend of mine who lived in the country of Haiti said to me, you know, there can be a dark side to the culture that refuses to rejoice in another's good fortune. If your neighbor gets something you don't have or if your neighbor gets a promotion, there's a compulsion to steal, ruin, or burn down whatever elevates someone else. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, urges us to instead rejoice with those who rejoice. If someone's glad, if someone's grateful, join in the thanksgiving and weep with those who weep. In many nations around the globe, Christ followers live under threat by their own governments, are opposed or oppressed within their home culture, are persecuted by hardliners of other faiths or no faith, and experience rejection from family members because of their allegiance to Christ. But even when this is so, our identity as sons and daughters of God is not as victims. Our identity as sons and daughters of God is not as victims, but rather as victors. The scripture tells us, no, in our hardships and injustices, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. These past two weeks, many of you have become aware of the escalating crisis in Sudan, where we have connection with pastors there. We know them. I want to ask you this morning, would you come alongside them in their current hardship, joining in prayer for the people of Sudan, for the church in Sudan, as civil war threatens? I want to invite you to pray along with this video and the voice of a Sudanese believer. Lord, we thank you for loving us and you die for people of Sudan. Tell us in your word that a time will come when the people of Kush 
will raise their hands and worship you. Lord, we pray for that time. We want to see it in our generation. We want to see multitude of Sudan coming to face. We pray, Lord, for Darfur region, the Western Sudan, all the tribe that are living there. Lord, we pray for visitation. We pray that you send your people who will proclaim your name. We pray for the people of Niala, and we thank you for the house church that are there. We pray for Nuba Mountain. We pray for the church that is there. We pray for the house church that are moving toward the tribe that are not reach it. We pray, Lord, uh, of people of uh, Buluna Isle, Lord, uh, reveal yourself to them through internet, TV, social media, and dreams. Lord, we pray for the churches that are there in houses, in hiding. Give them boldness so that they come and proclaim your gospel to their people and their neighborhood. We pray for the people of uh, Eastern Sudan. We pray for all the obstacles that hold them behind, whether it is Islam or uh, African religion, any witchcraft, move them away so that your people will come to your light and get the salvation that you provide for them. We pray for the Northern Sudan tribe. You know, Lord, that these people, they were believers before, but we want you, Lord, to come again with your salvation. We pray for the people who are in the middle of Sudan. We pray, Lord, uh, for salvation. We pray for evangelize them. Also, we pray for the persecuted church that uh, you give them boldness, faithfulness, to endure the fame that they are going through. We pray for the government. Lord, uh, soften their hearts so that, Lord, they allow your people to serve. We pray, Lord, for all the challenges that people are facing, famine, economic challenges, and political challenges, security challenges. We pray for your grace. We pray, Lord, uh, use us, use all your servants, use your children that are there, Lord, with boldness. Give them, Lord, courage. Give them grace in the eyes of the people. We want to see the salvation. We want to see the revival in your church. We bless you. We praise you. Lord, give us courage to walk according to your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lord, may you advance the work in your vineyard in Sudan. Does watching that change your perspective of entitlement? I want to say this morning that gratitude infuses us with contentment. Gratitude infuses us with contentment. There's a new movie out with Viola Davis, Matt Damon, and Ben Affleck called Air. It's the story of how a mediocre shoe company, Nike, 
went to extraordinary lengths to tie their brand and risk their future on a single rising basketball star, Michael Jordan. And if you have an original pair of 1985 Jordan Air 1s, they could be worth up to $25,000 if the condition and size and color are right. Well, guess what? I don't have any collector Air Jordans. I don't have any collector Air Jordans, but can I be grateful I have some new ASICs? And if I don't have new ASICs, can I be grateful that I have shoes? And if I don't own a pair of shoes, can I be grateful that I can walk? And if I can't walk, can I be grateful that I have life and breath today? Maybe it's not what I have or how it measures up against someone else's stack, but more about recognizing I've been given, I've been given so much by a generous God. Coveting wines, I deserve better. Better house, better spouse, better career, better car. Contentment concedes what I have is fine. Coveting tenses, contentment relaxes. Coveting is always craving more. Contentment says, I can't believe how much I have. The evil one tempts and prompts us to covet. Our Heavenly Father calms us saying, I am with you. I've got you. Breathe out thanks. Be content. 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 through 9, tell us contentment, uh, godliness with contentment is a great thing, is a great gain. For we've brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin. I have to tell you this morning about the grease swindle. This past Thursday evening, 18 of us gathered here at WBC for a Greece Go Team meeting as we prepare to join in the July distribution of New Testaments north of Athens. Steve Dutton, who's been a part of uh, this distribution for years, told us the story of a woman he met uh, in Greece who received a New Testament at her door in Greece. When she opened it to the ribbon marker and began to read, her eyes fell upon the story of the rich man and the beggar Lazarus. In Jesus' parable, a wealthy man who had enjoyed great luxury found himself in agony in eternity on the wrong side of the divide. He looked and saw humble Lazarus, whom the rich man had ignored in his suffering, 
now in paradise. For years, the woman Steve had met had been distraught, simmering in anger against an already wealthy brother who had swindled all of her inheritance from her parents' estate when they died. Over time, the anger had cooled into depression and bitterness at the injustice. She read and reread this parable, and then suddenly she dropped the Bible and ran to her neighbors asking them, did you receive a New Testament? Yes, yes. Where was the marker? Where was the marker? And as she went from neighbor to neighbor to neighbor, she realized, well, the markers were just in random places. But she felt convinced God was speaking directly to her. She devoured the words of the Gospels and soon became a follower of Christ. Steve said, when I met her years later, she pulled out and showed me the bag that she'd received at her door and the Bible in it that one of our teammates had put at her door. He said she was one of the most joyful, loving, effervescent personalities I've ever met. She was overwhelmed with a generous God. I have a question for you. Would you rather be the neighbor of that woman or her brother? Are you most like her brother, the woman before in her bitterness, or the woman after in her contentment who knows a good, good God? Gratitude infuses us with contentment, and gratitude and strength have their source in Christ. This reading ends with the words, so the last will be first, and the first will be last. But if we cheat and look ahead a bit to next week's reading, the words that follow this parable further write our perspective. Now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. On the way, he took the twelve aside and said to them, The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and teachers of the law, they will condemn him to death. They'll hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. Jesus accepted the most unfair assignment ever. No one ever humbled himself so greatly gave of himself so completely, or bowed as low as your Savior. And that's why Jesus alone deserves to be
first. To be exalted to the highest place. To be supreme in your life and in mine. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we confess we're quick to notice and become agitated when we feel slighted, but are often slow to see and indifferent to respond when others are shorted. Lord, forgive us for the times we have begrudged your kindness and generosity to others. Lord, forgive us when we regard today as a given rather than for what it is, a gift. Lord, forgive us for often suspecting and sometimes accusing you of shortchanging us. We're not home yet. But when we are, we can trust that you will not only make things right, but that we'll be awestruck by your lavish goodness and will joyfully bask in your majesty and affection. Lord, we are humbled at the feet of Jesus. Thank you for reaching to us with wounded hands that heal and holding us tight with hands that will not let us go. Amen. As we get ready to close our service, the choir is going to sing a song that I would encourage us to make our own prayer. That as uh, out of contentment in Jesus, that we can sing to the Lord a new song. In Psalm 33, which the song is based on, the Lord loves righteousness and justice, and the earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. And surely we are the recipients of so much of his goodness. So make this your prayer this morning.
Church, let me send you out with this benediction. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Wheaton Bible Church, you are sent into the landowner's vineyard. Amen. Thank you.